The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guest. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, 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 and I think there might be a fourth welcome coming if you want to run with the Game Changers. I promise you're in the right place, and it's a special place today. The buzz is roll it. Let me get started. Just bear with me. I'm going to try something new. Never done this on the show before. In a world where digital devices are rapidly emerging, an unstoppable, invisible force is changing human lives in ways that range from the microscopic to the gargantuan. That force is... Big data. David, how did I do? <laughs> Fantastic. Excellent. Thank you. I just came up with that. Anyway, before I get ahead of myself, Gave let, me, let me get... Gave me <laughs> Big data represents an opportunity for us to reimagine our world seriously. We can track new signals once impossible. We didn't even imagine we had these signals, much less that we could track them and collect them. And it was is changing how we experience our communities, our places of work, our personal lives, absolutely everything about our existence. And let me tell you why we're all here today. After nearly two years of research and filming, filming is the key word, including interviews with more than 30 data science, artificial intelligence, technology, and digital medicine scientists and entrepreneurs. The documentary known as The Human Face of Big Data is here, and it illustrates the promise and the peril, yes, there is a dark side, in the growing big data revolution. This is likely to have a thousand times more impact on our lives than the Internet, as amazing as that seems. So you're going to be treated to a very different edition of Coffee Break with Game Changers today. Uh, we have the gentleman at SAP who brought me the idea for this show, David Yonker, who has been on several shows with us on our Future of Business with Game Changers series. We are hoping to get uh, Sandy Smolin, who is in the U.K. somewhere, probably rainy and foggy and looking for a phone somewhere. He's the director of the human face of big data. We have Bonnie Benjamin Farris from Pro Social, who's a production executive, and we have Bill Metzger, the producer. And let let me get started by introducing David, and we're going to, everybody, thank you for joining me. We're going to get started with our opening quotes, because we're going to play this out the way we usually roll in coffee break, and then we're going to have a really good chat about this 
fabulous movie. It's interesting. It's intriguing. It's colorful. It's so human. At times you want to cry. At times you want to laugh. At times you want to say, I should have thought of that. I could have known all of that about this part of my life. Very interesting and beautifully filmed movie. It's just visually so appealing and compelling. So let's start with David Yonker from SAP. David sent me a quote from Tim O'Reilly. First, I thought, Bill? No, it's Tim. Tim is the founder of O'Reilly Media, and he popularized the terms open source and web 2.0, which will resonate with you techies out there. And uh, just another note, he moved his company from Newtown, Mass. to Sebastopol, California, and that's where he was inspired to publish The Whole Internet User's Guide and Catalog, which was a bestseller back in 1992. Here's the quote. We have to care about what kind of future we are making. And I want to add an amen to that. David Yonker, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks, Bonnie. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for joining. Oh, I'm delighted. You pitched this to me, and I said, nah, we don't do any promotions. And then I thought about it and said, you know, such a fascinating topic. And I think, David, this will tie together all. All of the discussions of big data on all of our 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 Game Changers radio show. So I'm very excited. Tell me how you picked this quote from Tim O'Reilly, please. Yeah, so it's a, it's a quote from Tim. Tim is uh, um, interviewed in the documentary. Uh, and so it's actually a quote from the documentary uh, near the end. Um, and I think it really talks to um, the need um, for society to really think through uh, how we're going to use big data. You know, big data is a huge opportunity, uh, like you were mentioning earlier, right, as you were talking about the film. Mm-hmm. It's a huge opportunity, but there are perils there, too, and there are, there are downsides, and, and, and uh, it's just not always a foregone conclusion in terms of how we apply technology. We, we really have to give that thought. We certainly do, and I, I did skim through the movie. I had an opportunity to look at a, a lot of it today before the show, David, and, and part of the dark side deals with something that's been in the news for the past couple of years, and it's scary. It's uh, intrusive. It's called privacy, and we'll get into that without making it a political discussion. We want to stay away from that part of the topic, but certainly so much information is out there. So, yes, what kind of future we are making, and the important thing is that we are making the future. We have something to do and say about it, even though we're not sure we do, we do. And we do have Sandy Smolin. Thank you, David. Sandy, somebody called you at your hotel, and we are delighted to have you on. Sandy, how are you? I'm very, very good. Just got literally got off the plane a moment ago. <laughs> you are a trooper. Sandy, you missed my intro where I did the movie phone guy's voice. I simulated the female version in a world where digital devices are rapidly emerging, and everybody loved it. So you'll listen to the replay, and you'll hear it. Okay, Sandy? Fantastic. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Now, you have sent me a very interesting quote from Jay Walker. Anybody scratching their heads, it's Jay Scott Walker, an American inventor, entrepreneur, and chairman of Walker Digital, which is a privately held research and development lab focused on what else? Using digital networks to create new business systems. Here's the quote. Anything that is going to save the world, by definition, has to be able to change it for the worst as well as for the better. Sandy, tell me how you picked this quote from Jay Walker for our intro to our show today, please. Well, I think it helps really define um, the heart of the film, which is that the technology, we are, we are being inundated with a lot of wonderful, powerful technology, um, but it's up, to, it's up to us as humans to decide how we want to use it. I think we're at a really critical turning point in history where there are these amazing, really phenomenal resources at hand, and yet those resources can be used in a multitude of ways. 
Um, our hope is that they'll be used for the good, but they won't be used for the good unless we embrace them and, and, and take those tools responsibly, use them responsibly, use them responsibly, use them in a responsible way, sorry, um, and, and really help shape our future rather than letting it, letting it shape us. And uh, that's sort of the, the point of time that we're at right now, and it's a pretty exciting period of time. It, it is an exciting period of time. Sandy, just a, a brief question to you, if you don't mind. How did you come to direct this movie? What about this topic appealed to you enough that you wanted to get on board the crew? Well, this was sort of a, a family effort. Um, my brother, Rick, um, produced the Human Face Big Data book, um, and, and the film and the book are part of a, a, an even bigger ah. project that included apps and, and exhibits. And uh, it was really an attempt to kind of look at one of the um, most pressing issues. Uh, the actual idea for the project came from uh, Marissa Mayer, who's now running Yahoo when she was still at Google, um, who had asked about what our next project was, and, and, and we were looking at a different number of different topics. And this was about four years ago, and she said, you should do something about big data. And we all looked at her and said, what is big data? And she said, well, it's our future. And a lot of people don't know about it now, but they will in a very short period of time. And she was absolutely right. Um, and it, it's been a, an amazing learning curve for us, um, stepping into this world. And we got to interview, uh, research about, actually, we, we looked at over 1,300 stories for the book and the film, wow. narrowed those down to about um, 55 interviews for the movie, of which I think 35 made it. But it was an amazing exploration of where technology is taking us as a society. Well, thank you so much, Sandy. I'm delighted that you were able to hop off that plane and on the phone, and we're thrilled to have you with us. And now I'm going to introduce our third panelist. Well, her name is Bonnie, so we're going to have mass confusion here. But her name is Bonnie <laughs> Benjamin-Farris, P-H-A-R-I-S-S. I think we agreed to call her Bonnie B. I'll be Bonnie G if we have any confusion. She's with a company named Pro Social. She's a production executive, and Bonnie has sent me a quote from J.K. Rowling. Now, if you've really been living under a rock and you don't know that <laughs> name, the, and she has so many names you won't believe it. It's Joanne, and the nickname is Joe, J.O. Rowling, O-B-E-F-R-S-L, and her pen names are J.K. Rowling as well as Robert Galbraith. Talk about confusion. She's a British novelist best known, best known as the author of the Harry Potter fantasy series, and here here is the quote. There's always room for a story that can transport people to another place. Bonnie Benjamin Farris, welcome. How are you today? I'm just terrific, Bonnie. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Where are you calling from, by the way? Seattle. Oh, okay. I can't wait to get to the coffee segment of the show. We'll find out what you're drinking, but you don't have to say it's from Seattle, I promise you. Uh, Bonnie, t- tell me, how did you come to pick this quote from J.K. Rowling for our intro today? You know, what makes, what makes life incredible as a, an actor who I've long admired, Kevin Spacey likes to say, what makes storytelling incredible is that the moment you hear someone's story, someone's personal journey, whatever your situation is, everything falls away and you identify with that experience. And I've spent my professional life using story to, to move the needle, to make a difference in some way. And we see it all the time. And, and the variety of ways we interact with story is changing constantly thanks to technology, whether it's through the six-second vine or an app or a text message or a post or a movie or digital. And it's just and how and when we use 
that story throughout all those mechanisms to transport people, you can really make a difference, and magic can happen. And, you know, who knows magic better than J.K. Rowling? <laughs> oh, that was so well put. I'm just uh, in amazement. Thank you very much. Intriguing that the stories in the film, The Human Face of Big Data, the stories are our stories. They're stories that could be you and me and Sandy and Bill and David and our neighbors and our friends and somebody we see on the news. And it's the stories of real people. That is the human face <clears throat> intention, isn't it, Bonnie? Exactly. Exactly right. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you on the show. And let's round out the panel with Bill Metzger, producer. And Bill sent me a quote from actually three very powerful little words from Jack Kerouac. And those of you who are too young to remember, although I can't imagine anybody is, he, he was an American novelist and poet considered a literary iconoclast. The young people in the audience might have to look that one up. And alongside William S. Burroughs and Allen Ginsberg, Jack Kerouac was a pioneer of the Beat Generation. B-E-A-T, like Beatnik, think about that. He is recognized for his method of spontaneous prose. If you have to look up the word prose, wait till after the show. Here is the quote from Jack Kerouac. What will happen? Bill Metzger, three powerful words. How did you come to pick Kerouac for this quote? Well, interestingly enough, um I did give you another quote from Tim O'Reilly, which uh, David must have uh, plagiarized from me, obviously. Um, <laughs> it's, the, it's the same quote, only uh, I used the first part of it also, which is, uh, we have to earn our future and we can't pat ourselves on the back. And then he goes on to say what David quoted, which is, we have to uh, care about uh, what kind of future we're making. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, those are all sobering words and words about responsibility, but I love the Kerouac uh, moment, which is what will happen, because I think everybody's asking that. We have this huge uh, tool, uh, uh, society-changing, world-changing, life-changing tool, and um, we're all wondering, where is it going, and what could, what could possibly happen with it? Because there are so many possibilities. So I thought those two mated together. You know, the, the Kerouac has still got that great wonder in it, uh, you know, the, the curiosity and the, uh, and, the, and the awe. So that's what I loved about it. Thank you very much. Very powerful. And, and I'm going to do a paraphrase on the Kerouac quote, if you'll permit me, Bill Metzger. And I would say, instead of what will happen, what is happening? Because it's now. It's right now, today, as we're speaking, big data is swirling around us. The what, how much is it? I think it's 40. I copied this down. 40 zettabytes of data will be collected by the year 2020. That's the volume of data. And in the film, it says, add up every grain of sand on the planet, multiply it by 75, and that would give you 40 zettabytes of information. So it is happening big time already. Thank you, Bill. By the way, Bill, where are you calling from today? Uh cloudy, overcast, and dreary Los Angeles, California. Okay, I'll have to look on the map and I'll see if I can find cloudy, dreary, and overcast. I'll, I'll look for, for that of, one. for a change of pace. Bonnie, is it sunny in Seattle? Bonnie yes, B. In, in sunny, gorgeous Seattle. B, and, we switched. <laughs> 
And Bonnie G. here in New York is telling you that it's gray and cloudy and they're predicting plu, which is rain sometime today. So my retired friends who play tennis for a living, meaning that they're tennis bums, uh, that's what they're doing is out running on the tennis course today trying to get a couple of games in before the rain starts coming down on the court. So I'm going to circle back to David Yonker. David, this is an interesting panel. I have to thank you again. And David, you know the drill because you've been on the shows many times. This is the part of the show where I ask you, what are you drinking right now? What's in your cup today? And remember, it can be anything, but just tell us a little story about your favorite beverage that'll tell us a little bit about who you really are. David Yonker, talk to me. You bet. Yeah. So it's actually a it's a bit of a guilty pleasure, and I I uh, a little embarrassed to admit I, I love uh, the Starbucks chai latte. I think it speaks to my uh, my well, my caffeine addiction, but also my sugar addiction. <laughs> Is that is that the embarrassment? Is the sugar or the caffeine, or are we <laughs> yeah, well, embarrassed yeah, to the power exactly. of two? That's right. Yeah. That's <laughs> okay. True. Thank you very, very. Is that a hot drink, or do you put ice in the summer? I'm no, I like it hot. I prefer my hot drinks. Okay. Thank you very much, David. Sandy Smolin, UK, what are you drinking? Or what do you wish you'd drink if you get to the bar or the hotel? Well, actually, I'm remembering being in London. <clears throat> um, a trip that I took when I was 20, in fact, uh, turned 21 on the trip, I... Um, did my first documentary in North Africa and lived in Tunisia, Algeria, Morocco for six months. And uh, whenever you went into any shop or any store or anybody's home, there was a tradition that they brought you tea. And that tea consisted basically of a chunk of sugar that almost entirely filled the cup of which they would add a little bit of tea to. And you were basically (laughs) drinking sugar water, but you couldn't refuse. And (laughs) we would go off and to four or five shops or families or homes a day. And uh, ever since that trip, I could no longer drink sugar. I just, my body just overdeed on it. <laughs> and, uh, but you, you just could not say no. Um, so I had six months of um, drinking a little bit of tea and a lot of sugar, and that was my drink. So that's called sugar with tea. That's a sugar infusion with a little bit of tea flavor on the side. Fascinating. I remember when I I lived with a family in Switzerland one summer on a study trip uh, way back in the dark ages, Sandy. I remember that all they served us for breakfast was two croissants, a big pot of uh, wonderful, oh, it's a cherry jam with a big whole cherry, probably Morello cherry, something like that, and tea. I wasn't a tea drinker. Guess what? I learned to drink a lot of tea because I had a full day and that's all we got for breakfast. So it was a lot of cherry jam, two pots and pots and pots of tea. Please give me. If I can share a jam story, speaking of jam, yeah. Um, yeah. In, in Algeria, we used to buy tins of jam, and you'd have to go through them and make sure that you removed all the bees that somehow got canned along with the jam. Oh. Oh. <laughs> you're you're hurting my feelings. But you just have to be really careful not to eat the bees. That's TMI. You have to have to be careful to not eat the bees, and that that's a lot of TMI. Thank you. I may never eat jam in a tin again. Bonnie Benjamin Farris, tell me a beverage story. Let's get to know a little bit about you. So I almost always have a cup in my hand. Uh, sometimes I would say for the latter most of the day, it's a mug of steaming hot coffee. I don't go for anything fancy. I just want one stevia. Life is good. And then around the right hour of the day, it becomes a wine glass full of buttery, oaky, yummy Chardonnay. Uh, Mm. But, you know, as I was thinking about your question, Bonnie, I was thinking this morning, I think every time I have a steaming hot mug of coffee in my hand, I think every cup has a story in it. 
Hmm. And this morning, I started my day talking to my 20-year-old daughter who's sort of forging her, blazing her professional path in New York, and we were talking about women and the workforce, and, you know, I, I... I often think to myself as I'm walking or as I'm staring out on, at the water with my steaming hot of coffee, kind of the, the powerful visionary women who blazed a path for all of us, who, who shattered the ceilings, who redefined leadership, whose sacrifice enabled my daughter and I and other, other women and other women's daughters anything they want to do. And many of those are actually in this film that, that Sandy and Bill have produced. Talking to her about that this morning was my thinking. No, oh, this is this is a cup full of story. I love it. A cup full of story. I like that a lot. Thank you very much, Bonnie. Appreciate that. And do you have a label for that oaky, wonderful Chardonnay you mentioned? Is there a favorite brand you like? A favorite winery? Oh goodness, we're allowed to say brands. So you are. I think it's going to have to be a small winery in uh, Woodenville here in Washington. And, oh, my goodness, what's its name? You know what's escaping me. I'll, I'll remember it, and I'll bring it up later. That's fine. Thank you very much. Run a wine quest with Bonnie B. And Bill Metzger, what drink is thou today? Well, I'm feeling so pedestrian. I'm just having my <laughs> usual morning you know, shot of cup of joe, a really strong uh almost black coffee. But since Sandy Smolin, who I know slightly, uh, brought in <laughs> right. the subject of, um, of uh, foods with uh, various things in them, um, I spent some time in Southeast Asia, and in the morning, with the morning coffee, there was always a baguette. Mm-hmm. And in that baguette, in that baguette, uh, since the ovens were open-air ovens, one had to pick out the <clears throat> various little bugs that had fallen through the heat <laughs> into the baguette. So that's my that's my morning <laughs> beverage story. <laughs> beverage with a twist, with a side. Yeah. By the way, is there a special flavor to your coffee, Bill? Is there a certain brand or a certain something, full calf, half calf, decaf? Is it dark? Is it you tall? Know, is it small? What is it? Full, you know, it's double full calf, it's, you know, as hard as it can get. It's called high test in my book. That's what we used to call yes, what you put in your car, exactly. right? That's what we put in our car. We're all old enough to remember those days. Yes, give me the high test. Fill her up. That's it. We're talking to a very interesting group here today. We have David Yonker at SAP, and we have people intimately involved in the production of the wonderful documentary, The Human Face of Big Data. We're speaking with Sandy Smolin, the director, Bonnie Benjamin Farris from ProSocial. Bonnie, what's your exact title in terms of the production of the film? I have your production executive, but what was your role? Uh, we are working on the film now. We were actually not part of the production itself. And Sandy and, and the production team and David came to us after the film was done to to us at ProSocial to uh, ask for our help and guidance and, and strategic work to uh, bring the film to, to audiences in a variety of different ways, to tell the story of big data, its promise and its perils. Um, in a variety of different settings. And so as Managing Director of ProSocial, that's what uh, I have the absolute pleasure of focusing on. 
So I'm calling you our strategic promoter for our list today. Thank you very much. And Bill Metzger, producer, is our rounding out our fourth place on the panel here today. We've got a full house, and I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the after the break. We're going to go away for about 90 seconds, and David Yonker and I are going to have a little bitty chat about where we're going to start our roundtable. So much to talk about, including what's the big deal about big data technology? Why is it a social issue? And privacy, the hot button of all hot buttons we think and remember we're not going to get political but you might find out some interesting ways to think about big data and privacy so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we'll be right back brad out when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network you're enjoying coffee break with game changers presented by sap you can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Here we are, and today our topic is a little different than usual. We're talking about a film, a documentary called The Human Face of Big Data, subtitle Igniting Social Change, and those are three very powerful words in that title. Uh, First up on the panel, we started with David Yonker at SAP. If you're looking for David, by the way, his last name is spelled J-O-N-K-E-R. You can find him online if you want to know a little more about him. And David has agreed to start the roundtable with me, David. And we're going to look, I'm looking at your notes. And here's an interesting place I'd like to start. You say technology is a social issue. It shapes us. It affects how we work, how we play, how we live. So talk to us a little bit about this. Uh, is this something people understand, David? Tell me about how you came up with this. Yeah, I'm not sure people um, necessarily think about technology in that way. Um, mm-hmm. But, but it's, it's, um, it's a very powerful force in our lives, right? I mean, we're surrounded by technology everywhere. Um, and when new technologies come along, new revol- technological revolutions come along, um, they radically alter the social uh, landscape in many ways. You know, so you, you take a look at, for example, the printing press. And, and I mean, that dramatically altered the human traje- trajectory, right, um, with the knowledge re- revolution. It came with a lot of social upheavals, right, religious wars, um, all those sorts of issues and uh, massive changes in terms of how um, the social and polit- political structure worked. Industrial Revolution, the same sort of thing, right? That came along and uh, dramatically improved our lives, right, um, in, in terms of our, our standards of living, our health, all those sorts of things. You know, but it came with its own issues, right? I mean, we, ha- we deal with uh, 
environmental issues now in many ways as we, we, we in the industrial revolution, right, we figured out how to tap, um, uh, you know, essentially all these fuels uh, and turn that into mechanical energy, um, which has really improved our lives, but it's also caused uh, lots of environmental issues, right, that we're facing now. I think big data is the same sort of thing, right? Um, it is also a revolution um, that uh, is huge and can dramatically improve our lives, right? When you watch the documentary, you see some of these stories about how, how data is, is sort of um, improving things. Um, but there are social issues with that, right, that need to be addressed and thought about um, uh, very specifically. I would say privacy is, is that social issue. Yeah, I I think so. We have to get to that at some point. Sandy Smolin, talk to us about this topic David introduced. Technology is a social issue as a social issue. What are your thoughts when you were going about constructing the the timeline or the the storyboard for this movie? Were you thinking about the social part as well as the human face, or are they the same? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the core impulses of the film was to look at it in human terms and on Mm -hmm. the, the impact on us as ordinary people. Um, you know, we interviewed some of the most brilliant minds in the country, and, and one of our goals was always to kind of bring, bring the conversation back down to earth so it was understandable to you or me. I used to joke with my crew that if I could understand it, then I could help the audience understand it, um, because often they were talking on pretty abstract theoretical levels. But we, so we, we kept constantly, both in the shooting and the interviewing, and then especially in the editing, kept sort of pulling out the stories that had the most personal human impact so that we kept that the focus of the story, though still able and, and were able to, to talk about the, the bigger issues at hand. Um, I like to think of it as sort of a quiet revolution because mm-hmm. it's happening all around us, but most of us are so unaware. You know, I'm sitting here in my hotel, which is on the top uh, of a very old building, and looking at the, the the buildings across the way, which are all probably from the 1700s, and I'm thinking about how, with all change, some things stay the same, and other things mm-hmm. go through rapid change. And I think it's a really great metaphor that that um, we're living through one of the most dramatic periods of human history. And I don't think we realize it right now. Um, I think people will look back now and they'll look back to this part of the 21st century. And, and as we talk about in the film, saying this was a, a really major turning point where the tools at hand expanded our ability to know the world. And, and great changes started to happen. Great changes are, in fact, happening at a exponential speed um, that's changing everything in almost every aspect of our lives. So we go back our, through our daily lives and we get up every morning, we have our coffee and we go to school and work. And life seems like it's continuing normal, but it is anything but normal. That's right, or it's the new normal. I have a quote to toss at you, Sandy Smolin, uh, from one of the shows I did yesterday. Let's see what shows. The Digital World with Game Changers Radio. One of my guests gave the following quote. I think this will resonate with you. Computing is not about computers anymore. It is about living. And this is a quote from Nicholas Negroponte, who, if you're not familiar, was the founder, is the founder of MIT's Media Lab, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, anyway, that, what know, you're saying reminded well. me. I'm, and you do? We know very well and then did a project, worked with him briefly on a project about one laptop per child. 
No, that's right. He yeah. founded. I didn't even want to go on and on about him. Interesting. Very interesting. What a small world. God, I'm, I'm really surprised. I could probably drop any name and you've done a project with them. And my other favorite <laughs> quote, Sandy, is plus a change, plus a la même shows. And that's the more mm-hmm. things change, the more they say the same. And around and around and around they go. Bonnie B., Bonnie Benjamin Ferris, join us. Thoughts on technology as a social issue. What do you observe? When I think about technology, I think about the use of technology, as I said, when I talked about my quote at the opening, the use of technology to share people's personal experiences. And what I absolutely love about this film is what Sandy and Bill and the filmmakers have done is they've they've provided this forum through this through this film to not only talk about big data of good, bad, et cetera, but they did it in a way that allows every one of us, you, me, my kids, uh, to understand what technology can do, what it is doing. What I also think is really interesting is Sandy just called it a quiet revolution. And, you know, when I think back on other revolutions that we've seen, we often acknowledge them in the rearview mirror. But because of technology, because of, of forms like this, that the films like this allow us to um, ignite a conversation, ignite a public discourse, we can actually look at what's happening in this quiet revolution almost in real time and therefore guide it towards, towards the directions that we want. So those are things going through my head. Thank you very much. Bill Metzger, thoughts on technology as a social issue. Talk to me. Yes, I think, I think David's got a great point. Um, but, and I think that the Industrial Revolution is probably a great example. But I think that what's interesting about big data and what's happening right now is that we're being provided opportunities, but it's, it's still our responsibility to take action. We, you know, all, mm-hmm. the, part, the human part of big data is the actionable part of big data. And I, and I still think, in spite of all the things that are happening that sound fabulous, and they are fabulous, that um, I don't think the majority of folks out here uh, who aren't involved directly as we were, let's say, are aware of what these opportunities are going to be. I mean, it's it's sort of... You know, there's this whole one social media aspect of it, but advances in technological fields and medicine, uh, the possibilities of advances in education, you know, they all have uh, those social implications that they're talking about, but they require participation. And um, one of the the little pieces that I sent you is... um, you know, what's the modality of that participation? What are the tools for that kind of participation? Are they democratic tools? Are they, you know, some technological tools? I think those are the big decisions that need to be coming soon. Um, and that was one of the reasons that it was important to have it called the human face of big data, mm-hmm. because you really, you know, you really want to present uh, the idea that, you know, this is an enormous technological advance, a tool so big, I don't even really think we can wrap our heads around it yet. But uh, it, but it has, uh, you know, a street effect daily, uh, you know, but we all need to participate in that effect somehow. So I think we're, you know, what will happen is what I was kind of getting at. How does that work? 
You know, what, what's the mechanics of that? You know, how do we care about our features, Tim O'Reilly says. How do we invest in that feature, as he says, and how do we make the right choice? You know, so, uh, yeah, I think it's a really interesting spot. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate that. You know what? I'm looking at the clock here. We've got about 20, 21 minutes left. We have a lot of territory to cover, so I'm going to fast forward. David, instead of going back to you to close out that topic with your permission, and I know you will graciously give it to me because we know each other so I well. <laughs> I, thank you, dear. I'm going to fast forward to Sandy Smullins' notes. And Sandy, you sent me such great stuff. I want to talk about your grandfather. I want to talk about the importance of putting visual cues into the film, but I really want to talk the most, Sandy, in the limited time we have. Uh, the topic you say we're learning how little we know and let me give one quick example from your notes you say a medical study that used to look at 200 people for two years will now be done by looking at two million people in real time 24 hours a day and that's just one of the wows so talk to me a little bit about about what you've observed learning how little we know sandy Yep. Um, this was the subject that really fascinated me um, in, in doing all these interviews uh, and again, we were talking with top people at MIT and Stanford and, and, and all across the country. And, you know, we think as a society we've come pretty far, but if you think about it, modern knowledge as we know it is really only a couple hundred years old. And in, in the span of history, and in the span of human history, that's not very much. Modern medicine is really only 100, 150 years old. So um, we're, we're at this turning point that we've now really through our, our computers, through our technology, have expanded our ability to know. And what we're realizing is that we're still sort of infants in the world of knowledge. Um, and, and I think that, that comes as a shock to a lot of people because I think we all think that we've come pretty far, and we have, mm-hmm. but clearly we have a lot further to go. Um, as an aside, um, uh, uh, one of the films that had a really major influence on me growing up was 2001. First film that I ever went back to immediately the next day to see again. And I was always baffled by the ending. And it wasn't until about 20 years after I saw it for the first time, after I'd become a filmmaker, that I saw the film again and, and understood the ending, which is really about how we, at the end of the film, they reach a point where they realize that, that we're like humans, are like infants right now in our knowledge of what the universe is, how it works, how things work. And so you can look at that as every field. As far as we've progressed, there's a hundredfold, a thousandfold, probably a millionfold um, knowledge that we've not yet gone to. But suddenly, that the ability to get to those next steps, to make those leaps forward, is there mm-hmm. because we've extended our ability to understand the world through our computers. Um, one of the other quotes in the film that, that really had an impact on me was that that looking at big data is equivalent to the discovery of the microscope. There's a whole hidden world there in all that data when you can start to look at it. And we've never been able to look at it before, but now we have the ability to collect it, and we have computers that have the computing power to very quickly analyze it. And that's what the game changer is. It's suddenly we have an ability to interpret the knowledge that's there, that's always mm-hmm. been there, but we've never had any way to codify it before. And now we do. Thanks. Exactly. Well put. And we have to know which questions to ask, what kind of analytics we want, and then what the heck do we do with the information we get out of it, those wonderful insights that we hope will do some good. Bonnie Benjamin Ferris, thoughts on what Sandy just brought up? Well, I, I think that's the power of the film, which is you know how 
it begins to um, deconstruct all of the different possibilities for how to use data to impact pollution and world hunger and illness and personal health. I mean, we really are ushering in a new area, a new era of science, which is really quite extraordinary. And what I think is a challenge right now for all of us is there's such a, um, uh, I think, misconceptions and stigma out there around what data can and cannot do and the promise of it. I think we are besieged daily throughout a variety of, in a variety of different ways around the perils, but not so much around the promise. And I think, uh, mm-hmm. I think, as you said, Bonnie, you know, harnessing this, this data for good, understanding how to use it to benefit all of us in a variety of different ways is, is going to change our future. And we have to all understand what that means and, and, and play a deliberate role in ensuring that all of us need to play a deliberate role in ensuring that it's used for good. Thank you very much. And I, I want to segue into, let's see, um, I'm looking at Bonnie's notes. Let's see. Bonnie, power of the story. We've already talked about that. How can story narrative move people to act? Um, yeah, let's talk about that. How can a story narrative move people to act? I'm just moving a little more quickly than usual, so we cover a lot of territory here. Bonnie, you want to talk to us about that? I think the most important thing that a film or a piece of story can do is to touch us in a way that resonates and, call, and, and at the same time provide an actionable opportunity to do something. I think that the most frustrating thing in the world is when we, um, maybe not the most frustrating, but one of the most frustrating things is when we are engaged with uh, hearing about somebody's personal story or learning about this new era of science and not given any opportunity to do something about it. And I think that uh, when that happens, we've seen it time and time again around um, Al Gore's Inconvenient Truth, several films like it, Dolphins, etc. You know, they, there is a uh, to harness that kind of engagement and passion to get people to do something is, well, it's magical. I love the magical. We keep going back to J.K. Rowling, don't we? Exactly. Bill Metzger. Exactly. Bill, instead of asking you to talk about the last two topics, Bill Metzger, I think it's time that we get to the privacy topic. I know this is big in the notes you sent me, and, and then we're going to go all the way back around the panel. I'll go back to David and then Sandy and Bonnie, but let's talk about the privacy issues. We talked a little bit in the opening about the dark side of big data. What's your observation, Bill? I know this is an area you're very interested in, so talk to me. I, I mean, I think there's a, a, a bifurcation uh, of, of people's thinking in this. I mean, on the one hand, um, if you present someone with the opportunity to make a medical breakthrough because you need their information or you guarantee their anonymity, uh, to a certain extent, they'll, you know, they'll be awed by the possibility of a medical breakthrough and they'll volunteer their information. Mm-hmm. Some are already volunteering their information and don't even know it. On the other hand, if you start to delve into the privacy issue itself, you know, um, it becomes very interesting. I mean, just as an anecdotal thing, I think I wrote a little note that said, um, 25 years ago, Congress passed a specific law protecting your video rental history from public view. How does that all sound right now? Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I see that. <laughs> so, yes. How does so it sound, Bill? Like, Were you no, comforted by Sandy. that, Bill? Did that make yeah, you I'm feel good when Sandy. you knew? <laughs> I'm looking at Sandy Smolin's, uh, you know, uh, video rentals from uh, <laughs> 10 years ago. And let me tell you, I mean, it's outrageous. <laughs> <laughs> You know, so, so you know, in the face of that law and the reality of Facebook, among others, uh, so you know, you see how how spread out all this is, and how it's all happening at the same time, and that's probably why nobody can really get a handle on. Uh, you know, information is being aggregated on our phones. Information is being, you know, our shopping habits. Everything that we do is being aggregated. At the same time, we're supposed to be dealing with, you know, the philosophic idea of privacy in a democracy. So I think that's, that's going to be the, that's the big stumbling block right now. And I don't know if it's a stumbling block or it's just a, 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 a social problem that needs some sort of a solution, which hasn't appeared yet. Yeah, there are extremes on both ends. And and something I picked up from the movie, from the film, uh, Bill, and I'm going to uh, turn it over to David and Sandy in just a second. Uh, something I picked up was something people aren't aware of. We are all, when we're on Facebook, we're donating our data to Facebook. This yeah, is I mean, a that's transaction. transaction. That's right. right. It's, it's not free. It's not generally don't understand, you know, that they think that that's a free service. Um, and as Charles Pierce says, they think it's a free service, and they don't care as long as they can post pictures of their cat. That's right. That's right. And then another comment made in the film was, should you care about who's collecting your data, the government, et cetera, et cetera, your phone providers, your Internet providers, the government? Should you care if you know you're not doing anything wrong? And that's just that's a question that we could cover for hours and hours. Yes. Uh, thank you, Bill, for opening up this uh, this Pandora's box or can of worms. David Yonker, <laughs> want to hear about you in terms of, well, did you know you're doing a transaction when you share your information? Let's not even talk Facebook. What about LinkedIn, your entire work history and recommendations from real people you worked with and all of the organizations you belong to. David, talk to me about big data and privacy. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you know, I, I think it is, you know, if you look at past revolutions, often the, the, the core, core fuel to that revolution, right? So the knowledge revolution, knowledge was kind of the core fuel, industrial revolution, it was, um, you know, coal and oil and all these sort of resources. Um, the uh you know big data your d- data is kind of the core fuel to the to the big data revolution and in each each case you know that that core fuel uh there are side effects um you know that have huge uh social or environmental consequences um and and so i think privacy is part of that although i think it's it it's actually more fundamental than privacy uh you know as we're chatting i'm i'm thinking about this um mm-hmm. you know it really gets to um a question of ownership. Who owns this data? Who does, who does this, who does, who does the information about David belong to? Um, you know, does it belong to Facebook? Are they allowed to do whatever they want? You know, do they own it, but they're not, you know, but they've got to comply with certain privacy laws. Do I own it? Is it my, you know, to choose how people can use it? Um, and, uh, you know, and it's a, it's a fundamental problem. I think that actually, you know, part of me thinks that, the, the the longer term consequence of this is is that um, you know it'll go one uh, I mean it go multiple different directions one of them being that um, you know corporations will get that data they will use it as they see fit you know within some certain boundaries and and um, 
and ownership will sort of sit with them. Uh, the alternative is that I think that you, you, there's a, there may be a fundamental change in terms of how society works, right? Where very corporations sort of drive the economic engine. You know, they, they, they take technology, they, they convert it into business value, and, and they drive it that way, and they're looking at data the same sort of way. Um, you know, and I wonder whether this ownership and privacy issue actually requires a sort of a change at some level in, in how that all operates, our, our basic economic engine. Um, mm-hmm. But that's, you know, that's just kind of, that's more blue sky thinking right, in terms of where that all goes. David, we cover that. Oh, somebody's got a siren in the back. We cover this a lot on shows when we talk about contextual experiences that consumers want in the retail world. How much do you want your provide your the store owner, the manager, the the CMO of a, of a retail chain to know about you, the data they collect as they follow all of your purchases, and, oh, you're in the store, and coupons are popping up on your smartphone. You want a contextual experience, but you don't want it to be creepy where they know too much and even when you walk into a hotel quick uh, comment here do you remember the quote it's easier to ask for forgiveness than to beg for permission in terms of who's doing what with our data david you remember that one i do yes Yep. Yep. Kind of scary. San- I want to get Sandy Smolin in on this because we're, we're lurching into our predictions round. I want to get Sandy's comments on privacy. When you were designing the film, when you're putting it together, Sandy, how much did you think you were going to focus on the privacy, the dark side issue of big data? You know, um, we knew all along that we needed something that was balanced. And, mm-hmm. um, and just as we were filming, and actually towards the end of the film, the whole Edward Snowden NSA story broke, and we actually went back and did a few more interviews, especially the one with Charles Pierce, because we thought it was really important. And in and, and screen the film, which we've been doing around the country, one of the things that we hear back is that how important that is to the film, that to not have had that, to just focus on the more positive side, really would not have made the film as balanced as it is. Mm-hmm. And the two reactions that... that that we seem to get on a uniform basis is both awe and wonder on one hand and fear on the other. And I think that, yeah. that, that truly captures the world that we live in right now. Um, I was just also thinking about something that David said um, about the Industrial Revolution based on oil. Um, there's something that's being said these days is that big data is the new oil. It's the new currency. And I think that's so true. Um, and I do think, and there is a movement, a movement, there are movements afoot for people to start owning their data and realizing that it is a commodity that's worth something and not to be given away freely, um, and that we have a choice in, in what we share and, uh, and that we do have a, have a say in it, that it's not just up to somebody else, um, to, to do with our data as we please, because it is valuable. It's extremely valuable. Um, and, and then that also just ties into, you know, yes, most of us aren't doing anything wrong and we don't care, um, that, that someone can have access to the data. But at the end of the day, um, those are good questions to ask, um, because we don't always know what, what will happen if that data falls in the wrong hands. Yep. 
that that's a concern and it's something that more people are going to be surprised if they have to confront that someday because, well, it was just a picture of my cat or that wonderful 4th of July barbecue I attended and what was on the liquor shelf and who was smoking what in the background and who was there at the party? We won't even go there. Bonnie Benjamin Farris, I want to quickly get... We also talk about all this digital data are like tattoos. Um, mm. They don't go away. You know, yeah. and, and they last, and everything is being recorded, everything is being stored, everything is being saved, and that that's the other side of privacy is that, that those nooks and crannies don't exist in the way that they used to, because um, everything is retrievable, and everything has been saved, stored, and photographed. Uh, that was one of the remarkable things for me about the Boston bombing, was just how they were able to basically go back in time and, exactly. and find the planting of the bombs and see it happen. Um, more and more of our lives are being recorded and and in more places. London, where I am now, is famous for having started this a long time ago. But we're living in a world where you'll actually be able to replay that world um, yep. all the time. And Sandy, this is a message thought. that... Young people and older people new to social media, new to the web, are not aware of the implications and that tattoo. Bonnie, I'm going to pass on getting your comment because we have to go. We're sliding into home plate whether we like it or not. Four minutes left till the close. I'm going to give you each 30 seconds because I know you'll go over, but 30 seconds for predictions. David Yonker, thank you so much for bringing me this great panel and great topic. David, if we fast forward, I don't know how far in the future. I love 2020. You know that. But what would be different if the film were made again at some point in the future well that's an interesting thought what would be different any thoughts on that 30 seconds predictions david yonker go uh well frankly i i think this is a a long-term trend i'm not sure you know i think the issues now and the issues in 2020 will be um generally the same the conversation i think will be further along um from a social change point change point of view there seem to be uh, indicators on the horizon that that in fact um you know data is becoming uh, a bigger political issue and a topic of conversation. And um, I'm starting to see threads of conversation about how to use data, for example, for sustainable development. You're starting to see that in the UN. So fingers crossed we'll see some fantastic progress by 2020 as, as it relates to data for igniting social change. Thank you very much, Sandy Smolin. 30 seconds. I, I don't know if you can do it, Sandy, but try to, try, try to discipline yourself. 30 seconds prediction. Sandy Smolin, go. Um, I'll try. Um, so in, 19, in 2013, we were interviewing some data scientists from MIT, and they talked about 2009 like it was ancient history. So I think 20 years from now, um, it's going to be a, an entirely new set of concerns um, some things will stay the same, like the buildings across the street, but we're also going to see a very different world um, with a whole new set of um, challenges that we're going to solve a lot of problems, but there's always going to be a host of new problems that have arisen that we haven't even begun to think about. The pace of change is happening so fast. Um, I think it's going to be hard to predict five years, 20 years is going to look completely different. And um, I think there's going to be a lot of good, but... We live in a world where the good is always intertwined with the bad, and I just hope, this is not a prediction, but I hope that the forces of good um, outweigh the, the, the forces of evil. We're all with you. We don't want to make the wrong kind of movie about this. Bonnie Benjamin Farris, 30 seconds predictions. Keep it tight. Go. 
I read recently that there are going to be around 50 billion devices in about five years by 2020, and it just got me just thinking about, oh, my gosh, all the data associated with that. I think that in five years we're going to look in the rearview mirror. We're going to um, uh, be disappointed in some of the data that we allowed to get into other people's hands. I think we're going to want, have more control over our data. I think we're going to have seen data impact the spread of disease in a very good way, ha- impact our personal health, um, and I also think we're going to have some regrets. Oh, regrets. Big word. Thank you very much. Bill Metzger, predictions, 30 seconds. Go. Here I go. I think that... Uh... <laughs> The future for medicine and science is unpredictable, and that's what's wonderful about big data. It's a uh, counterintuitive process. You find something that you could never find any other way. So I think that'll be pretty outrageous and wonderful. I think uh, in the social or political era, area that the ownership of data may end up in a place, very interesting, a monetization of your data. In other words, if I want to use it on Facebook, I want you to be on mm. Facebook, I might have to pay you to be on Facebook. Oh, yeah. And that'll Thank be a very, very painful <laughs> and arduous process. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just try to collect. Thank you very much. I have a prediction of my own, and I predict that if all of you got together and remade the movie in the year 2020, you would have to change the name of the documentary, and it would be called The Very, Very Human Face of Big Data. And I'm just going to leave that one on the table. Food for thought. David Yonker, I can't thank you enough for pitching the topic to me. We did it. You got everybody together. Unbelievable. Sandy Smolin, such a pleasure and an honor to meet you. The same with Bonnie Benjamin Farris and Bill Metzger, all great thinkers, talkers, and obviously creative minds. Appreciate all of you. And uh, David, come back to me with a topic anytime. This has been Coffee Break with Game Changers. Delighted to be here talking about the human face of big data. Go check out the trailer on YouTube. Quick question, Sandy, where is the movie available? Is it commercially released or how do people find it? Um, It'll be out this fall. Um, It'll be on uh YouTube and uh, the iTunes store shortly. Um, uh, right now it's available through Loco uh, Film Distributors, They're one of the best educational distributors, but um, all the details are uh, uh, coming out this fall. Thank you very much. Appreciate that. Just want to give people something to think about. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer and be the human face of big data, whether you like it or not today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Talk to you tomorrow on the future of business with game changers. Bye bye. Bye, Brad. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.